So, ever since I was born, I've been trained to serve you. Yes, I know this, but I would like to know about you. What do you like to do? Whatever you like. <laughs> what kind of music do you like? Whatever kind of music you like. Look, I know what I like. And I know you know what I like because you were trained to know what I like. But I would like to know what you like. For instance, do you have a favorite food? Yes. Good! What is your favorite food? Whatever food you like. Are you saying that no matter what I tell you to do, you will do? Yes, Your Highness. Anything I say you do? Yes, Your Highness. Bark like a dog. Arf! 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 A big dog. Woof! 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 Hop on one leg. Woof! 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 Make a noise like an orangutan. Ah! I see the two of you are getting along. Excuse me, Marty, for a moment. Fine girl, isn't she? I just realized that uh, uh, when I was the one sort of preparing this um, sermon, girl, that mo some of you may not even know about this movie. Yeah, but because you're 42, <laughs> right? It's like, um, this, this movie was 30 years old. It, it was released in 1980. So uh, for some of you who are less than 30 or younger, you may not know this movie. So um, yes, it's coming to America, and it was uh, released in 1980. Now, why did I show that? I will let, I'll explain later. However, uh, before we do that, let's review. So last week, the question was, is God punishing us when bad things happen? You know, so like when bad things happen to us, or when we're suffering, or there's pain, uh, and then we get hurt, we, uh, is God punishing us? And, we really, and then we concluded that it's no, it's not. Like the reason for suffering, we don't know. And why is there pain? We're not quite sure. And uh, we concluded that it's not so much about knowing why, but it's more about how do we respond. How do we respond in light of the pain and the suffering? And the question is, where is God in this? And we concluded again that in this pain and suffering, God is actually with us. Because uh, we explored John chapter 9, did we not? Last week, and John chapter 9 is a very popular passage about the blind man and how Jesus uh, uh, was questioned by his disciples saying, who sinned, right? Uh, his parents or he, right? Did he sin or did his parents? Now, the question was actually more specific than that because the disciples' intent of that question, as we uh, read through the chapter, was actually, what kind of sin resulted in this? That's what they wanted to know. What kind of sin resulted in this? Because in, in a Jewish culture, everyone already has is sin. Everyone was born in sin, right, in the Jewish mind. So really, it's not about whether who sin or not. It's more about the question was, what kind of sin? And I'm sure, like, uh, as I uh, like shared with you uh, last week, uh, I fall into that trap too, right? I sometimes uh, wonder, okay, if, if I had bad grades when I was in school, <laughs> what kind of sin is God, yeah, like, is God punishing me for? Did, I, did he see me cheat on my test? Or did he uh, see me cheat on my piano uh, practicing? Like, maybe I practice one less hour than the full three? You know, like, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then, uh, but then I realized, and we realized, we came to a realization that it's no, it has nothing to do with that. We don't know why the sufferings occur. We don't know why there's pain. 
We don't know why that things happen. It's just this chaotic world that we live in, and it's this fallen world that we live in. It's human, humanity was supposed to rule, which we were gonna go into again, and we lost that rulership, and things are just going in chaos. So, where, so the question is, how do we respond, and where is God in this? And then where is God in this is ultimately with us. And what the Jesus said is that in this suffering is God does not waste it. He will use it. He actually uses it so that what? The works of God is revealed. And what is this work of God? Mercy, grace, and love. Right? And then he healed him. He healed the blind man at the end. But the ultimate purpose of that healing, whether it's healing or no healing, the ultimate purpose of this pain and suffering is to open our eyes to see that God is with us, revealing his love, grace, and mercy. So basically, what we'd said is, at the end of the day, is how should we respond? It's to respond with open eyes. When suffering happens, when pain happens to us, we need to open our eyes and see where is God and what is God showing us through his love, grace, and mercy. And are we willing to receive it? Are we willing to receive that love, grace, and mercy? For the works of God is actually embodied in Jesus. Works, when, when Jesus said, when I heal him, it is for the reason is to, for the light of the world to shine. And who is that light then? That's Jesus. The embodiment of love, grace, and mercy. You follow? So when we suffer and when we go through pain and suffering, it's not so much of asking why. Uh, actually, you know, I, I just recently read an article from a, a few psychiatrists. If we keep on wallowing in asking ourselves why, we would continue to suffer, actually. So it's not so much about why. It's more about how should we respond then. First, acknowledge that God is with us. And second, where is, what is God trying to show us through his love, grace, and mercy in light of this suffering, in light of this pain that I'm experiencing? Lord, help me open my eyes, open the eyes of my heart so that I could see where you are and where your love and grace and mercy is showing in me, showing to me. Where's Jesus in this? Amen? Okay, now we move on. And I titled this sermon about, is about, uh, why are we, why, is, why does God allow us to have freedom? Freedom to make dumb choices, actually, specifically. Right? Because a lot, some of the pain is resulted in our choices. Agreed? Right? So if God is all-knowing, omnipotent, and uh, omniscient, I can't really pronounce that with those two words, uh, omnipotence is all-powerful. Omniscience is uh, all-knowing. If he knows exactly where everything is headed, right? If he knows that where like, uh, our decisions are headed, why does he allow us to even make them in the first place? Pot example, Genesis 3, right? If he knew that Adam and Eve were going to eat that darn apple, right? And, uh, and started this whole chaos, why didn't he just stop them? Why didn't he just like, uh, like put impressing their minds and their hearts saying, no, don't do it. Or, or actually, even better yet, program them in a way that they wouldn't even make that choice. Right? Wouldn't that be a lot easier? Have you ever asked yourself, wouldn't it be a lot easier if God programmed you to just be like Jesus? And that's it? Right? And then, uh, like, and I'll be on, and this whole world will be just great and hunky dory. Why allow us to make these silly choices? Why give us the freedom to do this? And hence, that's where we're going to go today. So uh, I tell those children, why did, God, why are you allow it? Why do you allow us to make dumb choices? So let's start off. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Job, Job 
chapter 1, verse 9 to 12. So let's go into Job chapter 1, verse 9. <clears throat> so I'll, I'll, I'll read and uh, you follow and, uh, as you follow along with your Bibles. It goes like this. This is Satan here. Satan, uh, Satan is having a conversation, conversation with God. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Now a hedge back then is to protect, it's like a fence. So kind of, you could uh, equate that today uh, with bubble boy. <laughs> you know, you just put everything, put the guy in the bubble. So have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has in your, is in your power, but the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So, what's going on here? Satan placed a bet with God. Satan goes like this, God, I bet that if you let Job go, just let him go, and you'll allow me to take things away from him and inflict pain on him, and, you, and things that you just go awry and things just don't go right for him, that he will reject you. Because Job only loves you and faith, is faithful to you because of what you did for him. Love is conditional. Right? Satan's betting to God that Job will reject you if you take everything away from him. Contemporizes basically what he, Satan is saying is that to, to God, on, like about us is, God, take everything away from your people, take away their income, their bank account, get the, the, inflict them with pain and cancer or whatever, lose their job, bankrupt them. They will reject you. That's what Satan's doing. He's placing a bet with God. Right? So basically what Satan is saying is that, and telling us uh, is, and questioning us is, is your faith, does your faith have strings attached to it? Is your faith conditional? That's what Satan is saying to God, saying, you know what? I bet that Job's faith is conditional. There are strings attached to it. God, you're actually, you know, this whole faith thing, Job's faith is actually, it's not a freedom of choice for him. You bribed him to do it. In other words, it's almost like saying, you only do this because of this. He's saying that, Look, Job, the only reason why he has, he's faithful to you is because of what you did for him materially. Like, gave him all this stuff. But take it all away, he's toast. So uh, Philip Yancey in that book that we're currently using as our outline, he goes like this. He goes on to say what happens afterwards. So what happens? Incredibly, a series of wretched calamities descend upon Job, any one of which would suffice to crush most people. He goes on and says, it raiders, uh, raiders, fire, bandits, and a great wind ravage his ranch and destroy all his possessions. Of, and of Job's large family, only his wife survives. She is scant comfort. Then in a second phase of trials, Job breaks out in ulcerous boils. Thus, in the matter of hours, all the terrors of hell are poured out on poor Job. All hell broke loose, you could say. Right? He goes on, utterly reversing his fortune and his health. He scratches his sores and moans, the pain he can somehow put up with. What bothers him more is the sense of betrayal. Until now, he has always believed in a loving, fair God, but the facts simply don't add up. 
He asks anguished questions, the same questions asked by nearly everyone in great pain. Why me? Why me? What did I do wrong? What is God trying to tell me? In that setting, Job and his friends had discussed the mystery of suffering then, right? We would. The friends, devout and reverent men, filled the air with erudition. Boiled down, their arguments are virtually identical. Job, God is trying to tell you something. No one suffers without cause. Common sense and all reason tell us that a just God will treat people fairly. Those who obey and remain faithful, he rewards. Those who sin, he punishes. Therefore, confess your sin and God will relieve your misery. How many of us have heard that before, right? Job's wife suggests one more alternative, curse God and die. <laughs> Very encouraging, <laughs> all right? Job, however, can't accept that choice either. Although what has happened to him does not correspond to justice, he simply can't bring himself to deny God. Where is the answer for Job then? As he reflects on life, he also recognizes other signs of unfairness. Thieves grow fat and prosper, while some holy men live in poverty and pain. Evidently, evil and good are not always punished and rewarded in this life, agree? So why is it important then, what Yancey said trying to allude to is, why is it important then for God to know that Job's love is unconditional? Because or else he wouldn't go into this bed, right? Why is it important to actually say, say, be certain that Job's love is unconditional? He let him go, right, and allow Satan to take over. So why is it important? Why is it important for God, actually, to have unconditional love from us? Why can't he just program us, like I said in the earlier? Why, does he, why can't he just not give us the capacity to even think beyond what he wants us to think? Why, why even put that stupid tree in the garden, right? Why give, that, give us that option? Why does God allow us then to make dumb choices? I propose two answers to this in light of what Job, in light of Job. And this goes back into Genesis chapter one, verse 26. So if you could uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter one, verse 26, I will read it. I propose two answers for that response about why does God allow us to freedom to do this, to make silly choices, to choose him authentically and unconditionally. Goes like this, then, verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. If you, have your, if you could, just highlight the word rule. Over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. First thing, the first answer to the response of why does God allow us to the freedom? It is because he created us in his own image. That's number one. And that image, part of it is that task is to rule. Why did he create us in his image? It's to rule. How does one rule, rule properly when there's no freedom? When there's no freedom to choose things? God created us in his own image, and who's, the, who's his perfect image? That's Jesus. Is Jesus, does Jesus behave like he's pre-programmed? Does Jesus does look like a person that he's like a complete robot and just fulfilled? Like, no, he had choices. One of the biggest examples was the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Where he prayed saying that, hey, like, but, and we knew that he could have backed out. He could have backed out. 
But he prayed and saying, I know you're, uh, take this cup away, but if it is your will, let it be done. Right? He could have backed out. So we know that Jesus had choices too. We, know, we knew that Jesus had freedom. And in, because, you know, we know why, because he was created, he is in God's image, and he is here to rule as well. And therefore, if we are in God's image, if God has freedom, so we too have freedom. The same freedoms that he has. Now, of course, we cannot, uh, there are freedoms within the boundaries, and God created laws for that. One of the biggest ones is the laws of gravity, right? Think about it, like you can't just jump off a cliff, like you could freely jump off a cliff, right? But there's a, a certain laws to govern as, uh, our freedoms. And uh, one of the case in points was, uh, uh, best examples was when Satan tempted Jesus to uh, jump off a building. What did, what did Jesus say? Don't put God to the test. Why did he say that? Because, he's actually, because Satan is actually testing whether God will stick with his boundaries, with his law of gravity. Don't test me, right? Like, I gave these laws up for your own good. Don't test it by uh, like, testing me to break my own very laws. How is it, like, how can we worship a God if, if this God breaks his own laws, right? How can we do that, right? So, like, uh, so we know that uh, we have, we're given these freedoms. We are know that we know that we have freedom to choose is because we are created in God's image. And why were we created in God's image? It is to rule. We cannot rule if we are robots. We do not rule, like, uh, if we are robots, if we are pre-programmed. He wants complete freedom in us to be able to make decisions, to make proper decisions, and be good stewards of this earth. So that's one, why we have these freedoms, to be able to choose. But second is even more important, I think. And that is a, a word that is commonly used in uh, marriage circles, in uh, marriage counseling, marriage courses and stuff. And it is this word, oneness. And I want to just uh, sit on that one for a bit for this morning. Because why does God really want us to have a genuine, unconditional love for him? And I believe it is, a, it is this word called oneness. He wants oneness with us, as Jesus experiences oneness with his Father. And how do they usually explain it? How does God usually explain this oneness? This, uh, this, what kind of metaphor does he use? Marriage. He uses marriage a lot to uh, use as a metaphor to describe this oneness. And so I'm going to go into this whole thing about marriage, and this is why I show you that video. How is it for you married couples out there, right? Don't you wish, do you wish, that you had a, a wife like Eddie Murphy's at the top there? You know, just do what I say, whatever I say, whatever I do, like you like whatever I like, like type of thing. Pre-programmed in this early age just for you, right? Oh, maybe, but, is that person's love for you authentic, genuine, or, and unconditional? Is that love genuine and unconditional that is free from if-then clauses? See, oneness, like a, in, in light of oneness, I believe that it is not about the if-then clauses. It is great, of course, uh, to uh, say, like, we use words like equality and fairness and say, oh, like, if I do this, then you do this. If I put in this much work, you put in this much work. That's not marriage. See, here's an example of what I mean by that. That, like, when God wants us, so what's one is from us, 
He doesn't want conditions, if-then clauses. If I give you this, then you give me love. No, he wants authentic oneness. Now, how does that look like then? Well, see, I'm getting a little bit of a, a ahead of myself because like, uh, I just visited my mom just recently, so my mind is a little bit there and here. Um, When I, when I visited, like, uh, you know, I already shared a little bit about my mom, right? Uh, about my mom and dad. And uh, I'm, this whole oneness really comes into fruition as I experience in their interaction. As I told you before, I'm, the, I'm very blessed and privileged to actually have, you know, have God reveal this to me in my life. Some of you know that my mom is a, uh, has a rare condition of degenerative uh, brain degeneration. And now she is completely immobile. Uh, she can't feed herself. She can't talk. She can't uh, go. She needs all full assistance. And if and recently, uh, because of my dad's heart condition, uh, he has a heart condition. He suffered two heart attacks one year. He has a heart condition. He cannot no longer take care of his wife. And like uh, they've been together for forty plus years. So it was very heartbreaking for him, very heartbreaking, and still is, because it's just very recent, to actually uh, uh, admit that he has to uh, put his own wife in a home. You know, he's only, she's only 67. But we just recently put my mom into a home. All through the, the time of their interactions, though, as I see my dad taking care of my mom, there's never been in any expectations of, uh, of a return. Like, my dad keeps on giving and just giving and just giving. Like, uh, um, when people say uh, marriage is about 100% all in, like, he, he is 100% all in. Um, my, like, my mom, like, cannot possibly return the love back. If it wasn't if then, right, if I do this, then you do this, she cannot do anything. You know that old, like, a five love languages thing? She cannot fulfill any of them. She can't. She can't talk, she can't hug, she can't touch, she can't give, she can't give anything, actually. She's just there, right? She just can't even give you that whole I love you thing. She can't say I love you to my dad. Not, can't do, even do that. So then my dad has many choices, right? Now that you, you, like, uh, he has put his uh, uh, wife in the home, he has many choices now. He has the freedom to actually just visit my mom just once a week maybe, once or twice a week, because he can fulfill his own desires now, right? He can do whatever he wants, right? Yet I don't, yet when I see him continually go and visit my mom morning and night, morning and night, every day, he is literally choosing to submit his own desires for the sake of my mom. You follow? This, this interaction didn't happen uh, overnight, right? I told you guys, like, uh, they've been married and together for 40 plus years. I've seen my parents yell at each other and at each other's throats. I've seen my parents like, uh, have disagreements. Well, no, duh, right? They're both human beings and they have their own desires. They have their own expectations. But continuously, I see my dad submitting, submitting, submitting for the sake of the marriage. 100% all in, he says. And my mom, again, same thing, 100% all in. Continuously 100% all in for the 40 plus years of their marriage. And then because of that, 
the result of the at the at the end of the at the result how I witness it and how what my brother witnessed is that and um, our wives see this is that we see this beautiful oneness, no conditions, no strings attached, no expectations of oh you better love me back. It's just oneness, this unique relationship that I can never describe to you. Only they can describe it themselves. Only my dad could experience this. I want that between Rosanna and myself as well. When, like, when, I, when Rosanna is, like, cannot, is no longer the woman that I married, that I could still love her with all my heart, 100% all in, without any expectations or strings attached. Oneness. And hence, that's why I believe why God uses marriage as an example for our, his relationship with us. He went all in, 100% all in. And he's still 100% all in with each of us, that no matter how many times we falter, how many times we shake our fists at him, how many times we, get, like, we disappoint him, how many times we ask for forgiveness for Pete's sake, how many times we sin, he still says, I'm 100% all in for you, regardless of who you, what, what you have done. I forgive you, you come back to me, I am 100% all in, I give my life to you no matter where you are at or what you've done. Love, grace, and mercy. And because of that, that unconditional love, we have a choice to make. Like my, like my dad, he has a choice to make. Are you 100% all in? And my dad says, yes. For the sake of this relationship, I cherish that oneness and I want to continue. So in the end of the day, sure, I could go theologically, yeah, we're rulers, so we are created, we have that freedom. But the second most, the why I sat on this is because it hits me personally because I see that reflected in my parents. This, re this relationship that God has with us. I'm not saying that my parents' relationship is like this God-Jesus thing, but I think it's a reflection of it, a good one, reflection of this. Is that if Jesus, if you know that fully well that Jesus is 100% all in for you, yet he still gives you a choice to make, to love him back 100%, I think that's amazing. That's truly amazing because he wants a genuine relationship with all of us and to experience that oneness that he has with his father. To experience that oneness that my dad is having with my mom. I don't know what that is. I just see that magic between them. I just don't know what that is. But I hope that Rosanna could have that magic as well. I hope all of you married couples have that magic as well. And I hope that you singles out there who are going to, like, who may, will, may be married in the future will have that magic as well with your future spouse. It's that, that oneness. That no matter what happens, no matter what happens, like, that no matter what, if, even if the person cannot even return the favor, that I will be still 100% in for this, this oneness, experiencing that oneness. Amen.